You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. All right, we're going to talk about truth again um, today. This will surprise some of you, but I really thought last week was going to be the only week on this subject. But uh, who knew? Uh, There's more. So, yeah, she said it from the beginning, of course. Um, yeah, so so we'll just do a little bit of review, uh, talking about the subject, Truth Under Siege, because we as the church have a specific relationship with truth, and we know who truth is, and we want to live in that relationship and in the responsibility uh, that we're going to look at in, in just a second here that the scripture gives us over truth. The church is... Uh, the entity that God has put in the earth to uphold truth. And um, so, again, as we talk about this, we'll go back through a few of the verses, but, you know, we're not talking just about honesty. When we talk about this, we're talking about truth, truth that is immovable and unshakable and is the same from generation to generation and culture to culture. It's God's word and who God is. He doesn't change and truth doesn't change. Uh, for us. And and so we let's just go back through a couple of the verses we looked at last week. This was really one of our foundation verses and, and will be if we have more weeks in this. Um, but it, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Again, I, I like it a lot, again, from the Amplified Bible. The Amplified Bible saves me a lot of time because it brings out uh, a lot of the nuances of the Greek language and puts it in English for us. So uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, Paul wrote, I hope to come to you before long, but I'm writing these instructions to you in case I'm delayed so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in the household of God. We are the household of God. We are his family. So there's a way that we ought to conduct ourselves. And Paul wants us to know how we ought to conduct ourselves in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. We looked at that in depth last week, but it gives us an assignment as the church not only to know truth, which Jesus said that we need to know truth, and that word know, again, is a relational knowing. We need to have a, an intimacy with truth. Um, but, but that we in the earth, it's a part of who we are to be, is a pillar, holds something up aloft, right? Holds up the, the roof, holds up whatever. We are to be the pillar and the foundation, that which it rests on, of truth in the earth. So that's an assignment. We don't get to compromise truth, ignore truth, um, handle truth, um, what do I want to say, without without any reverence or respect or just, you know, have different opinions about it. It's not part of who we are. We, we get the privilege of actually knowing the person of Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, and who is the full embodiment of not only who God is, we just read it out of Colossians chapter 2, who God is and what his nature is, but also Jesus is the word of God in living form. He has always been throughout eternity. He is the word of God. The person we know as Jesus is the word of God in bodily form. The word that we have in our hands that the Holy Spirit has given to us is the word of God in written form. They all agree with each other. 
All right, so we get the privilege of, of having this relationship through Jesus with the truth. We talked about the fact that that little word ought there, how people ought to conduct themselves is so important and it's such a big word. And so it means that it is absolutely essential and necessary in any given situation that this happen. And, and so in this, in this verse, it's saying, because we are the household of God is absolutely essential. It is necessary that we be the pillar and foundation of the truth. This word ought means it is the most appropriate thing. It is what is right and proper. It is a moral duty or an obligation. It is who we are in the earth. It is our assignment from God to not only live in the truth and embody the truth, but to uphold it. And yes, we do a lot of that. We should do it primarily through our lifestyle. But we're going to see also that it's this idea, we also need to speak truth. We need to live truth. We need to write truth. We need to communicate truth. It is lifestyle, and that needs to be primary. I mean, we can say things all day long, and if they aren't in our lives, we lose our credibility at, at best. You know, we become hypocrites. We, we lose our credibility. Great, given a lot of what truth does in our lives needs to be seen. It's represented by what is seen in the way we carry ourselves, the conversations that we have, how, how we drive, how we act at the gas station, how we act in line at the grocery store. I mean, all of those things are a part of truth living out through us, but so are our words. So are the way that we speak, the conversations we have, the things we choose to do and not do. All of those things need to be birthed out of truth and, and line up with truth. So we talked about the fact that in our world today, truth and the whole idea of objective truth, that there is truth that applies to everybody the same, that there is truth that does not change with, with time, with culture, with our opinions. That whole idea is, is totally under siege right now. It is under siege in every, area, in every area. It has been for decades in this country. I mean, this goes back a lot longer than that, but we've seen it really escalate. And, and there is a philosophy in the world, and it really has been picked up in certain segments of the church. And I talked to you about this last week where people are very, very popular, well-known uh, preachers are talking about truth as they, they, they make the comparison that, that it's like the springs on a trampoline. So they, they give, they, they reshape, truth shapes and forms to whoever happens to be on it, right? So it's different for you than it is for me. I mean, this is being, this is being preached out loud as a Christian idea, and it is not a Christian idea. It is the opposite of a Christian idea. Uh, the Bible presents truth as something that it is rigid. That's not necessarily a bad word. It doesn't shift. It doesn't change. And we'll talk about this in a minute. But truth always makes us, we have to make a choice. When truth presents itself, you have to make a choice. I have to make a choice. It's not going to change. So either we change or we fight it or we reject it, but it's not going to change based on our opinion. And it shouldn't. Thank goodness. It's full of life. That's what you and I need to realize and be totally convinced of is God's word is full of life for everybody. God's ways, God's purposes, God's, uh, the, the, God's ways, the, the methods that he used, what he says, that's the source of life. That is where everybody can 
feed on him and on his principles. And just like Andy just said, and hear what God is speaking and saying and, and, and all of that, there's life there. There's the absolute, well, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. All right, so, so that's where it all is. So this idea that truth, truth conforms to culture, it conforms to, to needs, to opinions of the individual, that it's flexible, all of that, that, that we as the church need to compromise truth, dumb it down, not talk about it, to be more inclusive and more accepting and more acceptable to, for people. And, and this is what, as individuals, the temptation becomes, well, I want people to like me. Or we can maybe a little better motive or the way we would spiritualize that, one or the other, is I, I want to have a voice into people's lives. So, so let's just not talk about all of these things. And I want, and I, we're not going to get there this week, so maybe we'll talk about some practicals next week. I want to talk about that. I mean, there is an appropriate time for expressing various things into various individuals' lives. There absolutely is. that People need to know that we love them and God loves them. People need to know that uh, God has the best for their life. People need to know that we will listen to them. I mean, there are a whole list of things that go into the actual application of what I will call the confrontation that we might have between speaking truth into someone's life. We're told to speak the truth in love. And again, I don't want to get too far in this because we're not going to get there today. Um, But I, I want you to know that I understand this. I'm not describing the church as this in your face, just shove it down their throat. That doesn't do anybody any good. Neither are we loving when we compromise truth, when we set it behind, when we try to conform ourselves to the world. We're not being loving doing that because there's life in the truth. The truth, it's not, it's not just ideas. It is, it is life. It is God himself is truth. All right. So um, let's look at a couple more. This again is review. We looked at these verses last week, John seventeen seventeen. you know, because everybody else, well, what is truth? You know, how do I know what truth is? Jesus said, and he was praying to the Father in John 17, he said, sanctify them, sanctify us believers by your truth. Your word is truth. So God's word, which is not only it's not only God's opinion or God's thoughts. It is, it is, God is incapable of deception. He's incapable of lying. So everything that he does is exactly congruent with his nature. Who he is, what he says, what he does are all congruent. If we can't see that sometimes right away, that's our problem. We need the Holy Spirit to show us that sometimes. We need to understand, Lord, how did, how did you, when, when you made that whip and went into the temple and drove those people out, how, how was, show me how that was an expression of your love, not just anger. If I did that, I'd just be venting, right? None of you. But if I did that, I'd probably just be venting anger. 
even when the Lord has anger, it comes out of love. It comes out of a selfless love. It comes out of agape love. If we grab hold of these things, then, then we can pray about them. And we can say, okay, Lord, show me how that worked. And that one's kind of, that one's kind of easy, you know, when, when we see them. Uh, but again, with some of the messages that are going forth, you, you would never tell somebody who is in sin, go and sin no more. You'd say to them, you'd, you, you might say to them, God doesn't condemn you. But boy, in the modern culture, you'd never say go and sin no more. But Jesus did. And that was an expression of love and truth. All right. When, when judgment in the Old Testament was an expression of God's love. It wasn't just anger. The, the Old Testament was an entirely different covenant. Thank God we live under the new covenant. It was a place where it was. There was sin and there was judgment and there was no grace standing between those two. And we live in a different covenant. But my point is we can look at all those things and we can understand that what occurred, we have to accept that what occurred, whatever God does, it comes out of love. And that anything that doesn't come out of love isn't from God. At the same time, we got to define love the way God defines love. We have to understand it is, it is a love that would risk its reputation to speak truth to somebody to help them be lifted up. It would risk losing a friendship because it's laying down its life, it's serving in order to bring somebody into a better life in Jesus Christ. Okay, so there's a lot to this and I think, you know, it's stuff we just have to think about and pray about, but, but we can't define love the way the world defines love which is mostly just acceptance and tolerance and I don't care what you do, which to me, at this point in my life, I don't see that as loving at all. I don't see any love in that. I see a lot of selfishness in that. But a selfless love gives itself, it spends itself for other people. That love and truth, there's no division between them in Jesus Christ. There's no division between those. They, are, they, they work together and we are called to live that way, to speak the truth in love. And, and again, that's kind of a whole separate subject that I guess we probably need to talk about. But Jesus said here, sanctify them. It means distinguish them, set them apart by your truth. I love that he calls it your truth. God is the author of truth. The Father is the author, and he is the only one that has the right to define truth. We don't know human being has the right to come in and redefine truth. You can do it all day long, but it doesn't change God or the truth one bit. We can say whatever we want. We can, we can have all these, you know, political discussions. We can, where culture can go straight to hell and it won't change God or the truth one bit because God is the only one that has the right to define what truth is. He's the author of life. He's the author of truth. So Jesus said, set them apart. Set the, set the church apart by your truth. We are supposed to be different from the world. We are not supposed to conform to the world. We are not supposed to be all that comfortable to the world. We are not supposed to be, it doesn't mean we have to be ugly and in your face. Do you get it? I mean, there's a lot of room in between these. We jump. It's just an excuse. You see this all the time these days. You'll make some just statement, you know, 
And, oh, well, then you hate everyone. Or, oh, you know, I mean, everybody jumps to these extremes about what you just said. Why? Just to shut you up. Just, just to try to pull you off into a foolish argument that has nothing to do with what you actually stated. It's just a pattern. It's a pattern of debate, I guess, in the world today that, to just attack people so that they get scared and back off. Well, that's not who we are. Our life is eternal, number one. But, but we are supposed to be different from the world. It doesn't, again, doesn't mean ugly, doesn't mean mean, doesn't mean any of that, but we're supposed to be different. Jesus was different from the world. He was different. He didn't, he didn't compromise all that. He, he never compromised who he was, who the father was, telling people the truth. He never compromised any of that. And yet he expressed love in a way that people were drawn to him. People that he had just rebuked were drawn to him. Many of them. Again, it was their choice. Okay. Anyway, so truth belongs to God. Uh, John 8, 31, 32 says, it says, Jesus said this to the Jews who had believed in him. So these were believers. He said, if you abide in my word, we talked about that last week, make your home in it, live in it. You're comfortable there. You're not, it's not this, you're not visiting. Abide in my word. Then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know, that's that intimate knowing. You will know, you'll have a relationship with the truth and the truth shall make you free. That word or that phrase make free means to liberate those in captivity, to remove all forms of bondage. It's the truth that we live in and have an intimate relationship that has the power to set us free from anything, from the domination of sin, from whatever it might be in your life or my life, from addiction, from wrong thinking, from any kind of sin, from any of that truth that we live in has the power to set us free. When we know that, then we can excitedly bring truth to people if we love them. If we care about them and we want them to be free, we're going to bring them truth. We're not going to bring them lies. We're not going to bring them compromise, right? Does this make sense? Okay. So what truth does is truth always places a demand. Always. It places a demand. It requires us to make a choice. Because again, it's not going to change. It isn't springy. It doesn't, it doesn't change. It requires us to make a choice. It actually requires us to make a judgment. All right? It's a terrible word. Well, we are actually called to be judges in certain things. And in, in that category, in the scripture, the word means to discern one thing from another and pick one. And we are, truth forces us to do that. You, you can accept truth. And it'll begin to work in your life. It'll change your heart and then work in your life. You can reject truth. And then you're basically breaking yourself against it and your life. Okay. But, but there's no other. It's not going to change. You know, we've made that point. It's not going to change. It's not going to conform to your preferences, to your personal opinions. It, it isn't going to change for you. And, and, you know, we have all dealt with this. Coming up through life, and especially those of us, you know, some of you grew up in really good Christian homes, and you might not have wrestled with some of this as much as many of us did. But, uh, you know, for a lot of us, there were things that I absolutely believed to be, this is just fine, this is, this is, this is just fine. I believed that sex outside of marriage was just fine as long as I loved that person. 
as long as I cared about that person. If it was just a one-night deal, no, that wasn't right. Even I knew that. In my debauchery, I knew that. But in but that was, I believed that. I believed that after I got born again, but before I learned anything from the word of God. I believed that for a long time. As long as you love that person, you know, and you have a relationship, you're not using them, you're not abusing them. Well, that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that sex is reserved <clears throat> for a covenant relationship between a man and a woman. It's a very specific, and in that relationship, there is this picture of the intimacy that we have with God and the and everything. Procreation is a picture of the way the seed of God's word comes into us and produces new life. I mean, it's just everything about that is given for a specific reason. The covenant, the the commitment to one another, the commitment to laying down your life for one another, that's all essential to bringing forth new life and, and raising children, all of that. Anyway, there's a lot we could say about that. But I believed something different for quite a while. And then I found that I was wrong. Okay? So I had to make a decision. You know, is this... I? I mean, and, and with that one, it was like, okay, I, I can, you know, I, I see that. I receive that. I believed at one point that when I first got saved, I was still smoking a lot of pot and doing all that. So what scripture did I pull out? Oh, every green herb, you know, was, was given for, you know. I mean, you know, I was an idiot. But God was good with that because he knew where I was. He knew my heart wasn't hardened against him. But as he brought out scriptures about you're not supposed to be intoxicated, then I was like, oh, well, that's a whole other that's a whole other story there, isn't it? So, you know, all of us, my point is, all of us go through this. This is part of growing up. But we have to be of a mindset that when truth comes, you got a decision to make. And it's it's not about if you make the wrong decision, God's not going to love you. It's not about that. It's and, and again, I see that argument thrown up all the time, especially about sexual sin in, in this day and age, because there's so much of it that we're trying to uh, normalize in society. Normalizing sin doesn't, doesn't help anybody and isn't a loving thing to do. Saying this sin that God says is sin, that's okay, and we embrace it. It's one thing to say God loves you right in the middle of that. That's absolutely true. And God will come into your life and he will pull you into his life and he will save you and he will redeem you. But like we said last week, there's a, this movement in the church is about you're accepted with God, which is true. Nobody can argue with that. But it's, and because you're accepted with God, there's no repentance necessary. There's no change required of you. God loves you right where you are. God does love you right where you are. But that doesn't mean he's not going to lift you into a better life. And if he's called it sin, it's sin. So you either so, so you can see, you either accept it or you reject it. But if you reject it, you don't change it. Our rejection doesn't make any difference to, uh, to truth. It does not change it. It will change your experience of it. And your growth, it will harden your heart to reject truth. So it'll have an effect on you, but it's not going to change the truth. So I, I see this argument thrown up all the time. Well, 
you just don't believe then that, that God's a loving God because God has unconditional love and he loves me. Or I'm like, I mean, I, I don't even get in these discussions online anymore. It's, but anyway, uh, but the answer to that is, yeah, God does love you. That's just not the point. God does love you right where you are. No question. But he wants to lift all of us out of every bondage. Truth, it is the truth that we know that sets us free. So if we're bound to pornography, he wants to break that. If we're bound to homosexuality, he wants to break that. If we are bound to greed, he wants to break that. If we are uh, bound to anything in our lives, he wants to break that. And he will bring truth to do it. But we have to either accept it or reject it. Does that make sense to you? All right. So when we accept it, it begins to change us first. And when we accept it, that is a softening of our heart. That is a yielding to say, yes, Lord, and I don't know what to do about it. Yes, Lord, and I've gotten myself in this situation. How do I get out? But see, the yes, Lord, is what opens the door for his grace and his power and his delivering life to begin to change you. And bring you and me, all of us. I mean, I've got plenty of these in my life. And he brings us out into a different, and he changes us. That's, I I just love the way God works. He changes us from the inside out. He changes us. He changes our hearts so that we don't desire that sin anymore. We don't have that sense that I've been this way all my life anymore. Because there's, there's this thing of, and we'll look at that in just a second, I hope, if we get there. This is who I was. I'm not that person anymore. And so now I'm living this different life, not in restraint, but it's, it's who I am now. We all live out of our, our identity. We all live, we're designed this way. We live out of our heart, embraced identity of who we are. And that's why it's so important that we learn who we are in Christ, because we're not the person we used to be. And as that soaks in, that truth sets us free from things that used to bind us. There are loads of things used to bind. I'm never tempted to stop at the pot shop and get a joint anymore. You know, I'm just, it's, and at one time that was such a big part of my life. I mean, I made friends over who smoked dope and I made, you know, it was like my half of my life. The other half was hang gliding. I did the same thing with it. I just made friends in this one community. God has, and, and hang gliding for me, I know this sounds stupid. It was an addiction. I mean, there's no question. Brother Bob, you know what I'm talking about. It was an absolute. You made your friends that way. You set aside, you, you didn't go to your friend's wedding because it was good to fly that day. You, you know, it was an addiction. There's no question about it. I know you may not understand that, but it was true. God broke that stuff and brought me into a whole different focus, different values, different everything. You know, and it's the same for you. It might be a different set of circumstances, but it's the same for you. God doesn't want us bound by anything. And there are a lot of perfectly good things, like hang gliding, that can be a bondage to us. You know, things that we love to do and we set God aside for it. Relationships, we can sure do it with relationships. You know, there are perfectly good things and there are sinful things that can bind us up. God wants to set us free from all of them. All right, so you getting anything out of this? Truth, let me make this statement to you. Think about 
all the social justice, I'll call them social justice, the social issues that we are wrestling over in our society right now. And we take up political sides and we argue with people. And sometimes we hate people that are on the other side. We think they're evil. We think they're wicked. All of those various issues, whether it's law and order, whether it's abortion, whether it's how we should handle immigration, whether it's how we treat other people, whatever it is, okay? All of those social issues, rich and poor, poverty, how do we handle all these things? We try to come at it from, we as, you know, people on the earth, we try to come at it and solve it politically. Truth solves, truth that is embraced, solves every one of those issues. Every one of those issues. Truth tells us that every person is loved by God equally. Jesus died and made available salvation for every person. Every person of every generation, of every color, of both genders, of of every nation on earth. Again, every generation through time, Jesus died for all of us equally. And he gave this opportunity for us to receive him and not only spend eternity with him, which is awesome, but to be transformed in our lives, to be more like him throughout our time here on earth. He gave us this incredible salvation, and he did it for everybody. And at the core of that is that in God's heart, every human being is of equal value. It's a core principle of the Bible. It's a core principle of of Christianity. Well, if we know that, then we treat every person as if they are of value. We treat every human being, regardless of any prejudice you may have grown up with, regardless of any, whatever your past and your experiences, regardless of any of that, when that truth gets hold of us, we start recognizing people as precious creations of God and we treat each other differently. And Jesus brought the whole of the law, all of the regulations down to love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. If we embrace that, and first of all, we have this vertical relationship and we're receiving what God is doing in our life, and then we treat other people the way we want to be treated, but we treat them from the love of God, okay, then we start to serve other people instead of being in competition with them. We start to, you know, we we find in the scripture that children and babies in the womb are precious to God. And so if we were embracing that truth, then we don't have to address abortion through law. We start to value, we start to value that baby. And we start to, from our hearts, we begin to take care of that baby and the mother, hello, and the family around the mother, and hopefully unite the mother and father, if at all possible, because we believe in that too. But we take care of that whole situation and we do it from the heart. We don't do it from law. We can't throw, I'm not suggesting anarchy. I'm not suggesting, we can't do it because 
we're still on earth and we're still in the fallen condition and the devil's running around loose and lying to everybody. And Jesus, bottom line, Jesus hasn't come back and isn't sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. So, so we're not there yet, but still let's grab for the highest principle. Let's understand that truth is what's needed in these, every one of these situations, every one of these things we fight over is solved by truth from the scripture and truth himself. Can you see that? Does it make sense to you? There are, you know, the Bible teaches, like I just said, equality. I'm going to say this. I don't know if it'll make some of you mad or not. It's still the truth. So you'll have a decision to make. The Bible teaches equality and it very clearly teaches equality of opportunity, not equality of outcomes. There's the new word that's going around, equity, which means top down, we're going to force the same outcomes, regardless of, and, and listen, I get it. There are people who are born with more advantages than others. I thank God for them, but, but never, and then want to help other people get them, not erase them. I think erasing them is just foolish. But nevertheless, there's this, the Bible teaches equality, which means everybody has the same value. Jesus, it's so clear with Jesus, he gave the same opportunity to every person. Okay, every person that hears about him has the opportunity to make Jesus Lord of their life and experience his life. It teaches equality, but even in heaven, even in heaven, equal uh, outcome is not guaranteed and won't be there. There are varying levels of reward based on choices we make here. The, and, and the scripture is so clear on this. It uses the terminology, gold, silver, and precious stones for the rewards that people receive as they're going into heaven. And then they all get thrown at Jesus' feet anyway, because without him, none of this would happen. But, but it's clear, and it, it says there that as people come in, people that are born again, people that know Jesus, there will be some that come through without any rewards. And that's all based on where did we respond to the Holy Spirit? The things we did birthed by the Spirit, we get revert, rewarded for. The things that we did out of our flesh get burned away in judgment and we don't have to carry those in or get punished for them or any of that stuff. But nevertheless, in heaven, there is still, it's not going to be the same for everybody. Why? Because God loves freedom and freedom means there has to be, there are always messes with freedom, but God loves choice. He gave us choice. And we make choices and, and we'll be rewarded or, or not for all those choices that we make. And so my point is that we, we strive for this on earth, but really equality of opportunity. And that's what, should be, that's what we should be building into public policy is more and more ways to make those opportunities. And I know, there's, I know there's inequity. I know there is. So let's work on fixing that instead of forcing outcomes. Because God doesn't do it. God's, I don't believe God's going to be in that because it's, it's not his principle. So the reason I'm bringing these up is because these are just things we talk about all the time. We talk about how do we help the poor? Everybody wants to help the poor. It's not a Republican-Democrat thing. If you don't, then you're just a greedy pig. I don't care what, who you vote for. You're just a greedy pig, okay? But everybody wants to help the poor. The question is, how? And, and what's the best way to help somebody? What's the best way to lift somebody up? And, and what can we do? And, and so truth comes in and gives us a value 
for the poor. God has a huge value for the poor. If we are misusing and abusing the poor, we are in big trouble. I mean, it's very clear in the scripture. But the question is, what's the best way to do that? So embrace the truth and grab God's value and then begin to work from there. And again, I know in some ways some of you say, oh, that's so idealistic. Yeah, maybe it is. But I believe in grabbing the highest principle. Let's work for the highest principle. And we'll figure it out along the way. And there's, you know, it's never going to be perfect till Jesus gets back. It never will be. But if we're not even shooting for the highest principle, if we're not even, I shouldn't even put it that way. If we're not taking the highest principle and making it the foundation of what we're doing, what are we doing? We're just evolving into a bunch of bickering animals, which isn't that, isn't as much fun as it sounds actually. So uh, I, could, I could go on and on and on. The truth teaches us not to covet our neighbor's stuff. Not to covet our neighbor's wife keeps us out of adultery. Awesome. Not to covet our neighbor's stuff. Not to, not to, what does that get rid of? Well, it gets rid of a lot of theft. It gets rid of a lot of angry jealousy. It gets rid of class warfare. It gets rid of, uh, gets rid of a lot of the locks on our doors and the, the computers. Good grief. The levels of stuff we're supposed to do these days to keep somebody from breaking in and stealing our stuff on the computer. And it's like, really? I mean, think about how much time and money and effort companies are built to provide computer protection that lasts for about three months and then somebody figures a way around that. Why? Covetousness. I mean, it's just, if you just think about this stuff, truth solves these problems. It sets us free. So we as the church, what's the point? You know, all that's great. The point is, if we don't uphold it and have it as a foundation, nobody else is going to. That's our job, to know truth, to let truth produce in our lives, and to live from truth. All right? Let's look at one more thing here. Just one more quick thing. We won't even go all the way through this verse today, I don't think. So obviously, I know what we are teaching next week. I didn't think I did. Oh, my head's falling off here. It's not my whole head. It's just this thing. Oh, that's not even it. Hang on. I got to get, I'm hanging myself is what's happening. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. It says, for once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. We're going to talk about that and wrap it up with that, but let's finish the verse. Walk as, that means live your life as children of the light. Light is truth in motion. Light is, is truth being expressed, and, and then it goes out and exposes and breaks darkness. And we'll probably get into that next, next week. But it says, you are now light in the Lord. Walk or lead your lives as children of light. Lead the lives of those native born to the light. So light's not alien to us. For the fruit, the effect or the product of the light or the spirit consists in, get this, every form of kindly goodness, uprightness of heart, and trueness of life. That trueness of life in the Amplified is really just truth. So the idea is as we walk in light and we are light, the fruit of that, the effect that it has, what goes out is, get them together, every form of kindly goodness and truth. 
They are not opposed to each other. Being kind and loving is not opposed to truth. The two go together in God and they go together in us. We just need to figure out how to do it. We need to figure out how to do it better, how to, how to release the truth through our lives in love. Okay, that takes wisdom, granted. Uh, but here they are again, spoken of together. So I just want to, in fact, I think we'll just, I'm not even going to get into all of that this morning about what's being said here, but just go back to the first line there. For here's, here's one of them. We talk about identity. For once you were darkness. That's a pretty sharp statement. It's true for every one of us. Before we knew Jesus, we didn't just have a relationship with darkness. We were darkness. Darkness is absence of light, absence of truth, absence of God's, um, God's person, absence of all of that. That's what, that's what scriptural darkness is. That's who we were. Well, no, I wasn't that bad. No, you were darkness. I was darkness. We were all darkness. Okay, we like to we like to categorize. Well, that person over there was really dark, but uh, I was just sort of gray. Now we were all darkness. The scripture says, but it says you were darkness. Now you are light. You are light. You don't just you don't get a choice about this. You're born again. The spirit of God lives on the inside of you. He's, shine, he's continually shining in us and exposing darkness and removing darkness. And he's shining out of you. And yes, I understand we can amplify that, but just get what this is saying. Get what God is doing here because he does it about all kinds of things in the New Testament. He says, here's what you were, but here's what you are. In other words, you're not that person anymore. This is an identity statement. Jesus, in going to the cross, identified himself with humanity in coming to the earth. Being born as a baby, you realize he didn't have to do it that way. Being born as a baby and growing up and walking the earth and experiencing every single temptation that we have, but without sin. He didn't have to do it that way, but he did. He did that to identify with mankind. And then through his resurrection and our acceptance of him as Lord, we become like him. We become Christians. We are saved. His spirit dwells in us. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit. We have a new identity and we will live out of whatever identity we embrace. If you keep struggling with your past, and you keep letting the devil convince you with shame that you're still that person you used to be, you will keep living like that person and you'll have a real struggle and he'll just keep you, the devil just keep you in a horrible shame cycle. But if you embrace who God says you are and you begin to speak to yourself and say, I am who God says I am and I can do what God says I can do. It's not going to change instantly, but you embrace that truth. You will become who God says you are. You will start to live because we all live out of our identity. It is no surprise that the devil is using, he always has, this isn't new. 
He is trying to re-identify people as something that God never made them to be. Whether he's trying to re-identify male as female and female as male, or whether he is trying to get you to buy into any other identity. I am an addict, and I will always be an addict, but I know the Lord. That's not true. The fact that you know the Lord can set you free. You may have been an addict, and you may be struggling with addiction right now. And you may struggle with addiction for some time, but it is not who you are. It is not the identity that God has given you. And the, and the world is bent right now on redefining those identities that, that God gave. Re-identifying male and female, not only is that kind of nuts, but that is, that, is, that is trying to label somebody in a way that will keep them in that bondage for the rest of their lives, okay? And I don't say that with, it, with a lack of compassion. I have, I have ministered to and walked with people who are struggling with all that. I know it's real, and, but it would not be loving of me to agree with that bondage any more than it'd be loving of me to say, hey, you know, you're, you're a junkie, you're, you're hooked on heroin. You know, let me help you get some more. Let me help you stay in that place. But you know what? God loves you and accepts you right there. God loves you and accepts you. You're, yeah, you're a slave to pornography, but you know what? God doesn't care about that. Yes, he does. He wants to get you free from it. He wants you to live a better life than that. It's not condemning. It's not putting you down where you are. It's saying, I have something so much better for you and I'll help you get there. I'll walk in it. Yes, he loves you right there. He will walk you out of it. But you and I, have to take these kinds of scriptures, and there are lots of them, in the New Testament that talk about who we are in Christ, who we were and who we are. And you start right there and say, yep, I can see it. I used to be darkness. Doesn't mean everything was bad about you, but it means there was no God in your life or not, not him. There probably was a God or several gods in your life. I know I had plenty of them. But but you were darkness. But now, you're light. You're light. You are truth in motion. You are the life of God in motion that has the power to break the darkness within and the darkness without. That's who you are. And as you come across, there's lots of them, lots of statements in the New Testament. Who you are in Christ, grab them, embrace them. That is who you are. That is the real you. That is what Jesus has made. That is what he saw from before you ever knew about him. That is what he created for you and in you. So as we, we, that, that transformation happens as truth comes into our life through the word and by and with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. It has the power to absolutely transform who we are. Truth is important. And if we're going to walk around and just say, well, I want, you know, I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. And so I'm not going to, I'm, you know, I'm trying to quit. We even get embarrassed about celebrating the changes that God has made. It's not, we're not bragging about ourselves because every one of us know we didn't make those changes. Every one of us are well aware. I didn't change that. God changed that. And God gets all the glory for it. But we either fall, you know, we fall one way or the other. And sometimes we're just embarrassed to admit, 
because we don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. And I get that, but we've got to figure out how to communicate truth in love. And when we do that, people are going to see Jesus. They're not going to see us. Oh, I don't want to point to myself. Well, then don't, because Jesus did it, right? Hopefully you're not pointing people to you and how great you are. We're pointing people to the, there are so many people walking around in the church that have no idea of what's available to them. They have no idea that they can be a whole different person. They have no idea. They're just walking in a religious structure and, you know, God will sort all that out. That's, that's great. But that breaks my heart that there are people walking around. They don't know there's deliverance, there's freedom, there's abundant life for me. They don't know because they've never been told. Did you get anything out of this? Yeah. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Lord, I, I, just, I just pray, Lord, that this is, this is coming into our hearts in the right way. This is coming into our hearts, Father, as we think about all the things that are going on in the world. Lord, we want to be of the right spirit, both of your spirit and, I mean, have the right attitude in life. But, Lord, that you'd show us how, Jesus, show us how, Holy Spirit, to not compromise truth in any way but to love people fully and, and to walk this thing out day by day and issue by issue, Lord, and so that we're not those people that are just screaming in somebody's face. I mean, you know, Lord, we don't want to be that person. But Lord, we want to be solid. We want to be strong. And we want, the, we want Lord, the benefits of truth for ourselves, Lord. And we want to be able to look at the issues of our society and the issues of life around us and the, and the issues in our friends and neighbors, Lord. And we want to see them clearly. We want to see them in the light of truth. And Father, we want to be able to address them the way you want us to. So Father, I, I just pray all of that, Lord, that you just continue to work all of this in our lives day by day, hour by hour, Lord. Show us how to do this. We, we need help. And we ask you for it. We receive it from you. You said when we ask for wisdom, you'd give it to us liberally, Lord, without criticism. So, Father, we just thank you for that today and pray for, I just pray for all these people as they go out into life this week, into this community, into communities beyond, Lord. We want to be light in darkness. We want to rejoice in you and be light in darkness. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I just got up here and didn't make any announcements. The only one that I have is we have Remedy tonight and it starts at six o'clock and we do need you to sign up for it if you haven't, if you're coming. Uh, you don't have to sign up if you're not coming. Is that me? Anyway, uh, so yeah, Remedy at six o'clock and we don't have child care for it and you have to sign up. I think that's all we have. All right, let's stand up and say it together on the count of three. All right. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Go out there and be the church. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.